He's dangerously paranoid. You are trying to destroy me. And it's working, by the way, at least for at least for one person. He doesn't care what you think of him. But you know what? I still get a five-star <laughs> rating from that person, even though he thinks I love North Korea. And he's got opinions. Opinions that might be different from yours. I love North Korea. I love North Korea. I love North Korea. I love North Korea. Tune in to this horror every week on the MCS Podcast. www.mcsmagazine.com Hey everyone, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. And I do not love North Korea. <laughs> Let I'm me. Sorry, I can't use that sound bite. You're going to have to change that. <laughs> oh, you're just gonna, you can take out the don't. Yeah, but it's going to sound wrong. You, you've got to work with me here. Man. No, no, I'm not working with you. You're working against me. How can I work with you? I do not love North Korea. I'm, you're building up like a whole army. Is, is everyone trying to destroy you, Jeff? Yeah. I'm not feeling paranoid, am I? <laughs> I'm not too paranoid. What would I do? I, I wouldn't know how to do a promo if I couldn't actually make you look like a monster. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I pay you for that. That's great. That's, that's a great, really great working relationship we have. <laughs> Listen, everybody, welcome to the Friday Reload from Modern Combat and Survival. This is a chance for, uh, for Buck and I to get together and go over this week's podcast as well as the blog post. So we can kind of uh, bring in some of the chatter that happens inside the, the comments section as well as share just the highlights from this uh, this week's blog post and talk about them so we can get a little bit more learning out of them. So I'll go ahead and get started with the first blog post that we put out because uh, this was based upon my Battle Ready Body uh, weight loss program. A lot of people don't realize that um, before I – well, not before I got into survival and, and firearms and things like that, but – um, I was a health coach when I got out of the military, and I used a lot of the military principles for my clients. And I had written some books about it, and and I had I had a lot of different health books and weight loss books and bodybuilding books that I that I wrote early on in my career. And one of them was a weight loss program based on the advanced stuff that I went through with the mil- with the master fitness training inside the military. And so I uh, basically put out three, the title of the blog post was Need to Lose a Few Pounds. These three military fitness tips guarantee you will get in, sh- in shape super fast. And these really are based upon the the military stuff that I went through and being the weight, weight loss NCOIC for my unit or the weight control NCOIC for my unit in every unit that I was in really just to help people that got overweight because the bottom line is, and this is where I, I bring in the, the connection is in the military, you can't gain, you, you know, you can't be overweight otherwise you get kicked out. So there's this whole process they go through of making sure you get back in into military standards or there's a process to get you out because you couldn't stay in military standards. And the bottom line is a fat soldier is a dead soldier. That's, you know, you, you, you're relying on your fellow uh, squad members to be able to carry their weight on the battlefield and pull you out of harm's way and be able to run across the street before they get shot. You know, you're, you are a part of the team and the less people you have on the team that are alive, the more chance you have of dying. So, the military keeps you in great shape. Well, same thing goes for anybody out there that's not in the military in a survival capacity. You know, if you are not in great shape, you can't, you know, travel as far. You don't um, deal with stress as well. You're going to make worse judgments. 
your you know your um, ability to sustain your family and yourself uh, just from your health health standpoint is going to be worse. So there's a lot of reasons why you need to be in shape in order to really you know, prepare the best. So the three things were um, body weight works best. So this is a, a scientific fact that when you do body weight style exercises like push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, things like that, your body, you actually activate your, your muscle better than you do when you're lifting weights like bench presses and pull-downs and things like that. It has to do with uh, stabilizer muscles and how well they're, they're, they're called in when you're doing something because when you're doing body weight stuff, you're basically, there's a balancing act that happens on a very, uh, you know, on a muscle fiber level, muscle fiber level that um, gives you a lot more bang for your buck. Second one is train as early as possible. Uh, in the military, obviously, we train first thing in the morning with physical, phys- physical fitness for PT. And the benefit of that is, is it stimulates your, met- your metabolism early in the morning, and then you benefit from that throughout the day. So even after you exercise, you're burning more calories throughout the day because you activated them earlier in the day. And the third one is never give up your guilty foods. And you know, if, uh, soldiers don't diet. Even when I had overweight soldiers that I was counseling to get them back on uh, back under uh, under standards, it wasn't like, okay, look, you've been eating, you know, two cheeseburgers at the chow hall plus French fries and, you know, ice cream. And so now what I want you to do is just go eat bark and grass. You know, I realize that that's a recipe for disaster because nobody can really do that for very long. You can in the initial stages of maybe motivation, but it's not a, a long-term recipe for success and it's not even necessary. So, uh, just to give you one example of what I would do is like, okay, instead of two cheeseburgers and French fries and ice cream, what I want you to do is first go to the salad bar, just have a small salad, and then go back into the line and get one one cheeseburger uh, and and a half an order of fries. And what the people usually found was that just cutting those calories in half, what they were normally used to doing, and then starting with a salad, sometimes they didn't even finish the the main meal. And and then just skip the ice cream. So they found that they they weren't hungry because they started to fill up on something that was very low calorie, like the salad, and it allowed them to drastically reduce calories in association with a good fitness program. That's all it needed to keep making progress and and get back into military standards. And you can really use this stuff. Um, I took the basically the, the for for my program. I took all the advanced stuff that I learned from master fitness training, and then I even kind of ramped it up even more for a civilian mindset, and, and we built some. I built some additional things in there. So if you want to check out that program, all you have to do is go to battlereadybody.com, and uh, you can check it out there, and you can see some of the before and after pictures. Uh, I'm I'm picturing the next promo. Jeff Anderson and Michelle Obama want you to eat bark and grass. <laughs> Freedom fries, not at Jeff's house. Yeah, not at my you know, house. It, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because it was just in the news this past week that the military is looking at what to do about the fact that so many people are fat now that many of the people who have the technical skills they want to do things like fly drones are too fat. Mm-hmm. And they're actually thinking about changing the standards, the physical fitness standards, for people who do things like sit around in a trailer in you know Ohio and fly drones and on around the world. They want to make it so that 
Well, it's okay for those guys to be fatter because nobody's shooting at them. Yeah, that would be a travesty. Well, I'm torn between thinking, okay, that I guess that's a pragmatic way to approach the problem, and thinking once we go down that road, we're really in trouble. Well, and even you know, when I was in the military, I mean, the people that were overweight were the ones that didn't necessarily, and this wasn't a hard, fast rule, but they were largely the ones that didn't have jobs. Were like I was in, I was in the infantry, so you know, we were marching a long way. We were, you know, if we were on out in the field or out on a mission, we were essentially walking. Now that was in like a woodland setting, right? So, you know, we had, we, we were under a lot of physical exertion. People that worked in either like the chow hall, well, obviously the chow hall, but the motor pool where they, they were uh, essentially like mechanics and things like that. Like they had a very sedentary lifestyle, you know, all they had to do is go from the tool room out, you know, 20 yards to to the vehicle they were working on or something like that. And so there was, other than PT in the morning, that was it. And soldiers, you know, that look, there's, there is a lot of stress, especially if you're in combat. And so, you know, there's, you know, you, when, when you have, when you're stressed out, just like anybody, even at home, if you're stressed out from work or family or something like that, your bot, your brain tends to gravitate toward the foods that aren't best for you, right? Like salt, grease, you know, fat stuff. You know, it's, it's those kind of things that are we call comfort food that you know affect the brain and allow you to, to soothe you. It's it's soothing. It's comforting. It's like ah, you know, it's like I, you can let the stress go. And so you know that that's it, it's it's kind of a recipe for disaster. But you know you're right. I mean it, they shouldn't change the standards at all because. First of all, I mean, how many times have we seen like convoys attacked, you know, you know, things like that. So, but then there's also usually less PT, like in combat, you're not, it's not like you're, you're getting up in the morning and you're doing physical training, like you're doing an hour of push-ups, sit-ups and a run. Um, if you're, if you're going out on a mission, you're not going to do that. You're going out on the mission. And so that does happen a lot. And if you're in an urban environment, you're driving everywhere. You know, you're not really walking around a lot. So, you know, there's a lot of the, the it definitely has changed. It has changed over the years, uh, but definitely I can't see changing the, the standards of it. I personally am on a 100% comfort food diet. <laughs> How's that working out for you? You were doing well. Going, I thought you were doing yeah, well for a while. Beautifully, if, if I'm if uh, my goal is to be tremendously fat, I'm doing great. I thought you were doing really well. Well, I am in, in reality. I mean, it's it's amazing how you, what you can do when someone points a gun in your face and says, "Hey, fatso, lose weight or die." Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, that sounds reasonable to me. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> that's where most people get to. But keep it up, man. Well, the post that I uh, was very interested in this week was MCS podcast number twelve: Urban Survival Invisibility with Kevin Reeve, um, and uh, that post uh, talks about how. Uh, during periods of collapse or martial law, the last thing you want to do is stand out from those around you. Uh, getting noticed can get you targeted, either by other people who want what you have, who spot you as someone who has equipment and things that they want, or by the authorities. You definitely want to stay under the radar when it comes to, you know, the powers that are during any collapse situation. We've seen all kinds of horror stories. Um, and Kevin, in the podcast discussion, talks about the key factors in becoming the gray man. And, and that's a concept that is well known to many of our readers and listeners. Um, you know, the idea of, of being that guy who is not noticed. 
how to override the instinctive biological radar system of those who are actively seeking out targets for looting or, you know, authorities who are looking for people who might be dangerous. How to camouflage yourself during a collapse, how to blend in into the environment, um, how to project that, uh, you don't want to mess with me type of aura and, and sort of, you know, disrupting what other people's preconceived notions might be and how, if I remember correctly, you, you, you want to make sure you don't do anything that triggers memory. You know, things that stand out are the things that you remember. And uh, Kevin basically goes into detail about how you don't want to do that. Uh, and finally, how to spot those wolves among the sheep so that you can see those people who you should be watching out for. Uh, and one of the things I liked about the podcast was how much discussion it engendered. It was kind of hot or cold. There were people who were like, this was really great. Uh, I've seen this type of thing before. Two people were like, this is horrible. And I, the great man concept is, is bullshit and, and it, it's not true. And, uh, you know, why don't you go home and practice your thousand yard stare, you chairport commando, you. <laughs> you probably love North Korea. I, I'm probably making up that last part. But, I love that interplay, that discussion, because I love it whenever we get our brains engaged on an idea as important as this one. How do you stay under the radar when things are bad out there? What is the best way to avoid problems and avoid drawing attention to yourself? Uh, and, you know, how do we manage the image we project? These are all things that are very fascinating to me. So that and the discussion about it make for a great podcast. Yeah, it is for me too. And I, and I think some people really underplay the importance of this. And, and when you say that it's a common concept among the people that you know are survivalists and people in our space, you know, you you I don't. I almost think the opposite because it's like when I go, especially if I go to like these prepper conventions and, you know, preparedness centers and stuff like that. It's like everybody's doing the best they can to to show, look what a badass I am. Like, I well, guarantee I have more bullets stored away than you do. And that's true. But every one of those guys has heard the concept of the gray man, even if they're not doing it. Like, there's an attitude among a lot of survival people and a lot of preppers and so on that, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. But check out this great, you know, I'm a survivalist and proud T-shirt I'm wearing. You know, it's it's kind of this do as I say, not as I do kind of attitude. The same people who talk about how you shouldn't expose your preparations to other people, and we've talked about that many times, yeah. are the very people who will be happy to tell you, you know, in an online podcast, or they'll go on those TV shows like Doomsday Preppers and say, this is what we're doing. The, the single best example of that might be that one family who announced on internet, on national television, um, our survival plan is to raid our neighbors and take their stuff. <laughs> and I, I, my jaw fell. I'm like, you, you just admitted that on national television? And, and as you can imagine, on survival boards all across the internet, they're like, yeah, remember those guys, because we'll kill them. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's not just a matter. Like some people are like that, you know. It's like, well, I wouldn't really dress this way during, you know, during a collapse. I would I would be the gray man during a collapse. Like, you know, it, it's it's all you're basically targeting yourself prior to because your neighbor is like, we're we're hungry, Dad. You know, what are we gonna do? I, I don't know. Well, there is that guy that lives like seven houses down that's always wearing those, you know, those those gun pants or those gun shirts. He probably has some food. I'll go knock on his door. And so, you know, we probably we should probably point out that gun pants are not what they sound like. I'm picturing like <laughs> just a pair of giant 
skater pants, those big wide pants with that that people used to wear with all the safety pins on them, just dripping with Glocks and revolvers. That's I where that, actually. That's how I recycled I, my parachute pants from the eighties. I just I just <laughs> keep now, little. Now I want gun pants. I want gun pants now. Where can I get gun pants? <laughs> Uh, the you know this one. Wait, did, wait, wait this, I'm, I'm hearing an ad in my head. Gun yeah, pants. Gun pants with guns in them. Get yours today. <laughs> yeah, the the um, I was really fascinated by this because I'm getting ready to go through Kevin's course. I don't know if I told you this, but I'm going through the Urban Escape and Evasion course in Austin in November, and um. I've been looking forward to this. I've been promising Kevin I would come out to the course for a long time, and then he finally stuck it in my backyard. So I'm, I'm definitely going now. And this is where you literally like get kidnapped, thrown into the back of a van or into a trunk, and then they haul you off to like a safe house, and and you know you're held hostage and you have to escape, and then then you have to make your way to like we pick a point in the city, and then you're dropped off, and then you have to find your way to that point. And all along the way, his his people are tracking you. So they're, you know, and these are experienced trackers. And and Kevin has a tracker course. So that's why you know somebody said in there this was useless information, or they said this is over. You know that that I think he said like it was over. It was blown blown out of proportion, or something like that. It's not really as important, or something like that. But you know, my thing was well, look. Kevin runs a tracking course. Like he knows how to track people and his people know how to track people. And so they know what to look for when they're looking for somebody. And so you really have to, and they're doing it consciously. You know, there are going to be people that are going to be doing it subconsciously. If you're talking about just like the way that gang members or, or thugs look for a target. You know, what are they looking for? They're, it's like a scanning. You know, you're looking for that little blip on the radar screen, and it's just something that happens subliminally. It's not even really necessarily conscious. It's just something different just catches your attention. And that's all it takes to at least bring the bring the focus onto you. And then from there, it's like then there's an analysis of why you're different. Like, what are you a sheep? Are you a wolf? Who are you? Are you a threat? Are you somebody I can take? There's there's all sorts of things that that go into it, and I'm really I mean I personally got a lot out of it because I'm getting ready to put this really to the test. So I'm you know, looking forward to it. This sounds like the setup to every movie that ends up being about rich guys hunting human beings. So <laughs> yeah, what right? could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this being a blast. If, if the head of the team that's going to be tracking you is like Rutger Hauer, go home. <laughs> yeah. Or what's the uh, – oh, shit, what's, what's that guy's name? The crazy one. Ah, never mind. I'll sit here for like 10 minutes trying to figure that, out. That guy in the shirt always walking around wearing pants? That guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll go ahead. The next uh, the next blog post we have is, is that really about survival food, which, you know, is a it's, it's one of your pillars of your survival plan, and it's called – here are six reasons a survival food pantry can fail when you need it most. And this is, you know, most people that are, are stocking up survival food, you know, people have these these pictures that they put on the Internet of showing, like, their pantry or their basement with shelves and shelves and shelves of stuff. And, and that can be a really, you know, it, it's obviously a way that you can use food that you would normally use and keep it stocked up and and you know like i i believe in an active preparation plan like something you can use while you're while you're planning not just the stuff that 
you're waiting for the zombies to come, you know, take rule over the world. So, so I, I do like dry goods and canned goods and things like that at home as part of a survival food plan. But if that is your, if all your eggs are in that basket, it can really, you know, when you need it the most, it can really fail you. And so these were six reasons why you need to rethink your survival food hoarding. Number one, takes up too much space. When you see those things, they're like, they're really, like some people, they're they're pretty, it, there's a lot of food in there. You know, there's shelves and shelves and shelves. I don't know about everybody else, but it's not like, I mean, typically, I'm trying, you know, people, that's why people have storage units, because there's not enough room at home. And so most people don't have that kind of storage. Now, if you've got a basement or something like that, you can put it in, then that gives you a little bit you know, extra room, I guess. You could do that if you, if you have the space to do it. But I think most people really don't have that much space to do it without taking away from something else. And it's the something else that we're kind of focusing in on here and that, um, you know, there's other stuff that you need besides food. There's going to be water. There's going to be gear. There's going to be maybe even, you know, stuff for your vehicle. There's all sorts of things that are part of a complete preparedness plan. And with limited space, you you know, you're going to have to really think about what that is. And if you take it all up with food, then especially with number two, it can be a problem, which is the instant wipeout. So you might have all that food stored up and then a hurricane, a flood, a tornado, a wildfire or whatever, you know, all that stuff that you stored up could be gone in an instant. Uh, then you're then you're left kind of scrambling around. Uh, number three is a poor bug out plan. So this food is not very mobile. It's very heavy. It takes up a lot of space, especially stuff that is like canned goods and things like that. So, and if you're going to bring like dry goods, you're going to need all the stuff that goes with it, like all the you know pots and pans and and things like that that it takes to prepare your food. So all that takes up a lot of space, and which while it might possibly fit inside of a vehicle, it's going to take up a lot of room in a vehicle. And if you need to bug out by foot, it's not going to be easy to carry that stuff. It's very heavy. Number four is limited shelf life. Now, this is something that we we talked about in a different in a different blog post, which is you know a lot of these dry goods can uh, well first of all. Canned goods do have a shelf life. You know, it might be one or two years or something like that, but it does have a shelf life. It's not indefinite. And dry goods that you would expect to last a very long time, which it can, only last that long if it's packaged the right way and kept under the you know the right conditions. And we talked about this in a blog post about about all those conditions like heat and light and exposure to oxygen and moisture and things like that all make a big difference. And most people don't are are not storing things under ideal conditions. So something that may normally under perfect conditions might last 25 years may only last two years in in less than ideal conditions. Uh, number five was longer preparation. So dry goods do take a lot longer to to make. So if it's rice, if it's if it's dry beans, things like that that do last a long time and are and you would normally find in a on your food shelves. Uh, when you go to make them, they do take a long time to make. You know, you got to soak the beans, you have to boil them for a long time, things like that. And I'm not a big fan of of foods that take a long time to cook, especially if you're evacuating somewhere. You just need to get to where you're going to go. Uh, it came to that last week when we talked about the difference between storing dehydrated foods, which, yes, are more processed, and storing things like the food from inner health, which is very healthy, but is essentially ingredients versus prepared foods. 
and the difference in preparation time required. Yeah. Yeah, and and it can be good, like if you have, especially if you have a secondary retreat that's in a lot safer location, maybe it's a little bit more remote, things like that, where you're not going to be there very often to really cycle out food and things like that, then, you know, that can help. So, and I do like Enter, Enter Foods, um, Enter Health Foods stuff, which is, which really is dry, it's dried goods, vacuum packed, you know, that sort of thing. And so, if you get to a place where you are hunkering down and you have the means, like, you know, for gas, for cooking, and things like that. Obviously, this this is much easier to do. But if you are bugging out, or if you're, you know, you know, if if time is of the essence, it's not. This is not the stuff that you wanna you wanna have. So, um, and then uh, the number six was hard to conceal. If you have a, a basement that's loaded up with food, or you have a, a large pantry, things like that. It is harder. Like neighbors, you don't. We were just talking about this. You know, you don't really want to advertise how prepared you are to the world. So if people come over and they see this giant food sort, even if they don't think it's, even if they don't know that it's for survival purposes, and they just think that you're one of those people that you know likes to stock up on food and take advantage of coupons and things like that, then even when even when something does happen. They're thinking, oh my God, we have no more food. Who has food? Ah, the Jones have food. So they, that's going to do it. As well as we talk about periods of martial law, things like that. When police come in, maybe to to check for something, or there was some rogue person, they need to do a, a no knock raid into your into your house because they're trying to track down some bomber in the area, or whatever it is. When they see that you have that kind of food, that's going to stick in their mind as well, either from a personal standpoint, like if, if their families are getting hungry, or if it now puts you on the list of people who are one of those crazy preppers who has all this survival food and probably has some firearms and ammunition stocked up as well. We've all seen doomsday preppers, so we know what these guys are like. So you know, it, it's it's a lot harder to conceal. That's why... Um, you know, my plan is we do have extra canned goods and dry goods and things like that. So slightly more than normal, but not enough to really raise a red flag if somebody sees it. And then the bulk of what we do is, is first of all, uh, are the dehydrated foods. So we have the food kits that are in plastic containers that can easily go from where we're hiding them into the back of a car, and then if you need to bug out on foot or on bike or whatever, you just open up the kit, you take whatever you can of that, that you can carry. So it's easily transported in different phases of evacuation if you need to, and it's also good for, it doesn't take a long time to, to cook all that stuff up. Um, so th- that's, that's, what we, that's what we do. And then we also supplement it. Um, I've told people before, you know, we have gardening, as well as uh, we have tons of deer in our area. So I know I could hunt for animals. We have a lot of animals around us, and so I can supplement with that as well. So that's, you know, you kind of can't put everything all in one, all your eggs in one basket in those food pantries. A lot of people just, you know, consider that to be their plan, and that's it. And that's all the reasons why it can fail you. Well, the, of all of the posts this week, my favorite post, the one that generated the most discussion, unsurprisingly, was here are five survive-in-place myths that could get you killed or jailed in a crisis. Uh, I love posts like this because, like a lot of us, I spend a lot of time thinking about the Ebola apocalypse and watching post-apocalyptic movies and television shows and thinking about, you know, the different ways that that could play out. And 
there are a lot of misconceptions that even people who are very well prepared have that could end up causing problems. Because I think a lot of us think the apocalypse is one way, like rule of law will collapse and the zombies will come and Ebola will lay waste to the landscape, and then it'll never get better. But in most cases, your behavior is going to come back to haunt you because eventually the crisis passes. So, you know, the, the first one was ignoring the rule of law. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's the apocalypse. Uh, uh, all rules are off. I can do what I want. And that's fine until the emergency is over. And suddenly people start showing up at your door and they're like, yeah, we've got an awful lot of public video footage that <laughs> says this was you. Um, a great example of that is there were some riots in the, in the UK where one of the stars of the Harry Potter movies, one of the lesser characters, got arrested and I think sent to jail for, you know, one of those Occupy Wall Street style uh, riots where they're like, oh, everybody's rioting. We can do what we want until they find us later when the emergency is over. Um, number two was faking out the looters. Uh, a lot of people think, well, I'll make my house look abandoned and people will think I won't have any stuff. But the problem is, just the opposite is true. Abandoned buildings tend to attract people who are like, well, there's probably nobody there. I can take shelter there. Um, on the other side of that spectrum is the classic looters will be shot sign. Well, you know, when you tell people, I'm inside here with a, an ugly woman and a gun and a dog, or, you know, somebody, <laughs> you see some really clever ones. But really what you're saying is, I've got a gun. Would you like a gun? Because you could knock me over the head with a cinder block when I poke my head out, and you could take my gun. So you really don't want to um, make yourself a target like that. Also, there I think there are some people who just take that sort of thing as a challenge, like, oh, really? Um, well, I think, I mean, even more to the point, I think, is is when, and this came up in part of the discussion, we can talk about it uh, in, in the comments, but, you know, are you, the last thing that police in the area who are trying to keep law and order and chaos want to see is, hey, I'm in my house, I've got a gun, and I'm going to shoot the first damn thing that steps on my lawn. You know, that, you you are a threat when you know, you put that sign out there. I mean, you're ba and you're basically for all the people that want to be off the gun list, you know, for for confiscation or anything like that. There's nothing like you know, come take my uh, come take my gun sign. Yeah, exactly. And that leads us into number four, the whole dying for your guns thing. Now, we here at MTS Magazine, including myself, are ardent gun people. We believe in firearms rights. We don't want to see anyone take your guns. However, the they can have my gun when they pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Sounds great in theory until a functionally endless supply of armed men shows up at your door. The thing about cops and authority figures, especially in an emergency, is while there's a finite number of them, to you, there's an endless supply. There will always be more of them than there are of you. You've got to be thinking in terms of outsmarting them, outwitting them, hiding your guns, hiding backup guns, you know, having a gun that you can give them to keep them happy while keeping your real gun hidden away, all kinds of strategies that we've discussed in other products and in other uh, podcasts and stuff so that you can stay armed without going straight to, yes, I've got a gun and you can come kill me and take it. Well, they'll be like, okay. We have time. We have bullets. Um, you know, it's just you, you can't. I am opposed to letting some left-wing jerk kill me because he doesn't like my gun rights. I intend to outsmart him rather than die for his cause. So that's the, to me, that's the way to look at it. Be smarter than them rather than braver than them. 
Um, and then finally, number five, this is also very important, is ignoring bug-out triggers. If we're thinking in terms of surviving in place, we're very wedded to the idea, this is where all my stuff is. This is where I'm safest. But there are certain indicators of reasons why you need to get the hell out of there. Uh, and we actually put out a free survival report, you know, the, the indicators of coming collapse, you know, bug out uh, uh, points. Those are very important so that you can get ahead of the disaster and not be one of those people on, like, the clogged highway full of refugees when it's too late. You know, if, if everyone else has already thought, hey, we'd better get the hell out of here, you already waited too long. Yeah, And, of course, the, the, the discussion about this post, because it's so near and dear to the heart of everything we do, was extremely lengthy. I think my favorite comment was by a fellow called Rambos, which I, I love that username. I love clever usernames. And uh, he, he pointed out uh, one of the biggest mistakes you can make in a survive-in-place situation is making your property so secure and bulletproof, nobody can get in. It's like Fort Knox with one way in. And one way out, and now you can't escape when you need to escape. He says, um, always give yourself several exit strategies and try to make one of them secret if you can. You know, like a tunnel may be a little extreme for most people, but some way of getting out so that you're not seen getting out. And I thought that was a very important point because, yes, you can make your home very secure. You can make your home so secure that you can't escape it either. Yeah, I think about that a lot, actually, lately, because it's like the whole escape route thing is very intriguing to me. And we don't often think in terms of of escaping. We think of like hunkering down. But when I was watching the, the Great Pumpkin Riot of New Ham- of Keene, New Hampshire, and it's I was... It's so hard to take that seriously with that game. <laughs> I'm just picturing, we talked about this before, the, 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 it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I am rioting. I will riot you. Boom, boom. Yeah, but you know, there's all these houses that are now like encased with with drunken frat boys throwing beer bottles at one another for you know, and just who knows when it's going to get triggered and turn into something something really really bad. And I'm thinking, okay, but if I've got you know, do do you open up the front door with your shotgun and say, get the hell off my lawn, you whippersnappers, or do you do you get out of the uh, the the back, you know, do you go out the back door and, and like, how do you get out of an area that is, is under fire, um, tactically. And so I've really started thinking about that and it really does, you know, obviously it's a very individual thing. You have to look at your egress routes and things like that, but it's not, that's why you need like a plan B sort of a thing. Like here's our main route out, but here's our secondary route out. And, you know, it isn't, it isn't like you can, you can, you know, do a, a tunnel or anything like that necessarily. But I thought about even like how you position things in your yard can make a difference. You know, where is your vehicle compared to, you know, you, do you have if your driveway is cut off? Can can you go through like a like through your yard? Is there another way to get out of your driveway or you know something like that? I mean, it's just it's a, like I said, it's a very individual thing, but I find it very interesting in, in an area that a lot of people don't don't think about. But this was a really cool post. We had a lot of great stuff in here. The most, the most liked, uh, because people can vote on their, like their favorite comments. And the most liked one came from First Cav Apache uh, 64. So this is obviously uh, an Apache um, pilot uh, who, who talked about what we were talking about before. It was like, you know, people love to talk about their, you know, they brag about their cool gear, talk about their brand new huge screen TV. It's like, this guy just needs to just need to shut up. 
part of being prepared be, is being that gray man. It all goes, it, it came back to that gray man sort of strategy, which I thought was kind of cool. But here's what, um, here's what I liked the most was, it was a comment from Johnny Guitar, who had asked me a question basically, and I just, I didn't see it until, um, this morning when I was answering some, some blog posts, but he basically put it out to me, um, because I was in the military, like, essentially like kind of a challenge of, you know, well, how, how would you feel? I mean, the, the, and I, and I know where he was going with this, but like, okay, so you're in the military. Um, if you had thousands of towns across the United States who were the neighborhoods had banded together and basically stuck up their middle finger and said, look, we're armed and, you know, screw you. And you're not, you're not coming in here to round us up and stick us into the FEMA. I'm, I'm overreaching on what he actually put out here. He's actually had a very practical application of it, but essentially it was, you know, if enough people get together across the United States and they, and they basically build a fortress in their, in their neighborhood, wouldn't that, you know, make soldiers and military and, and police think twice about invading those neighborhoods. And, and my response is essentially no. It actually does make you a target. Like, it's not like they're, you know, it's like, well, that's going to be too much of a force. We don't really want to deal with that. And I, and I think what has, has created this sort of feeling is like the, the Bundy Ranch standoff and things like that, where it was like the federal government was coming in, a bunch of people of like, you know, like-minded people got together with firearms pointed at federal agents and saying, nope, you know, this is a standoff and you're going to lose this, got national attention and federal agents decided to back off rather than make it, you know, a headline news story the next day about how innocents were killed when they didn't need to. Like we, I think we've learned quite a bit from the Waco standoff and, you know, that, that things can go really bad and even the bad guys can, can, you know, come become martyrs. So, but my response was that it's kind of the wrong way to thinking. It's that it does follow that, you know, you'll pry my gun out of my cold dead fingers approach. And my thing is, if it, if it really is a, which I think it more and more is becoming a militarized police state, then there's, it's not going to be like those individual cases where military and police are, are kind of like off, like loners. Like, you know, it's like an individual case of an individual department that was a rogue department or something like that. If things get really bad, then it's, they're going to band, they're going to band up also. If you have, if you have neighborhoods all across the United States doing this, you're going to have the other side banding together more as well and seeing it as an us versus them. And your best bet, my, my whole thing with this is that your best bet is to play it like a chess game. And we actually have a, an upcoming podcast I did with uh, with my friend Ox, where we talk specifically about this. And it is establishing relationships now with local law enforcement, so that you have an a um, you have empathy from somebody within local authorities that will leave you alone. And it's it's being prepared enough in your neighborhood that you are seen as an asset rather than a threat. And what I mean by that is when when the shit hits the fan, there is going to be disorder. There is going to be unlawfulness. And that's where the police are going to be forced to go. Anywhere where there's protests, anywhere where there's potential riots, any place where there's a lot of crime, looting, things like that, that's where their attention is going to go. If they don't have to deal with you as well, then that's going to be an asset to them. 
as long as you don't, and the way I put it in my response, get too big for your britches. Like it's when you start thumbing your nose at authority and saying that, you know, it's you versus you demanding or you declaring it's you versus them, then you're going to be, you're just going to be like, you're going to be off their radar screen as far as a threat goes. And that's exactly what you want to do because you're not going to win that fight when the Bradleys show up and, you know, the, the, um, the 50 caliber machine guns show up at your front door, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to take them on. It's just, you're not going to. So you've got to really play this uh, very, very smartly rather than trying to outgun or outarm the opposing force, which has an endless supply. I know you've got something to say about this. Well, I'm always torn. I'm always torn by playing it safe, standing up for my beliefs. You know, I, I think a lot of us get... Let me back up. This topic gets so full of emotion, so hysterical, because it speaks directly to why we chose to start preparing in the first place. And a lot of us really get frustrated. You spend your days reading the news, hearing about bad things, worrying about things. The Ebola apocalypse is, is one great example. Things that we generally don't have any control over. And as a result, we go a little nuts. And when the, when the possibility of taking action and standing up for what we believe comes along, sometimes we take it without thinking about, you know, the greater ramifications um, we were talking earlier about, you know, wearing T-shirts that proclaim your affiliation with anything. It's so hard to stay as covert as you want to stay for your well-being in the long term, while also saying, look, I have these beliefs. I want to express them. And it's one of the reasons why discussions on our forum and, and on our uh, uh, podcast and everything else are so important. Uh, even, you know, when people are posting anonymously, that decision, do I post under my name? Do I post under a handle? It's very important that we network. It's very important that we come together and have these discussions so that we don't go insane, so that when the opportunity comes up to actually stand up for what you believe, you can do it intelligently, so that when you make the decision, do I let them kill me because I don't want to give up my gun, or do I do my best to outsmart them? You know, things like that. It, it just To me, this is the type of thing that brings everything we've been talking about full circle. And uh, I'm terribly sorry to be so serious when what I should be doing is thinking about the gun pants commercial. <laughs> That's how I feel about all this. Well, I think it's it's interesting how we had a couple a couple people comment on the Gray Man podcast that it was you know one person said it was useless information, but you know what when we think about it, everything we've talked about today, a good portion of it's been about being the Gray Man, even though we weren't necessarily talking about it. But this is the same thing. It's like now, how can you be the gray neighborhood? How can you stay off the radar, if possible, yet still be prepared? You know, as an individual, as a family, as a neighborhood, as whatever, it's about being prepared but not drawing unwanted attention from whoever that might be. Looters, thugs, gangs, militia, police, military. Um, it is about, is about playing, it, playing it smart. It's about survival. And it, you have to play it like a chess game. And as much as it, it feels good to pound your chest and say, you know, screw you, um, it's not the best choice for your family necessarily. So, 
you, know, you really have to take those things into account and, and put the ego aside. And the thing is, I think that it's, it's easy to do all that stuff, right? It's easy to do all that stuff when you're not in the middle of a crisis, because it's safe, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's safe and you, and you can do it and you can feel the, the boost to your ego and confidence in doing it. But when it comes, when it actually comes time to, to do it, it's a completely different scenario. And that's where you, that's not the time where you want to start thinking about, uh, the right thing to do for survival because by then it's too late. You know, the gray man sort of thing is, is that same sort of thing. If you're out there bragging to your friends about how much food and ammo you've got stored away, it feels great and you have the bragging rights because there isn't a crisis. Then all of a sudden, when there's no food on the shelves and, and, you know, the shits hit the fan, um, maybe that wasn't the best idea. When you have all of those friends knocking on your door saying, let, let us in, let us in, we have no food and you do, uh, you're gonna, you know, it's like, oh shit, I guess I probably shouldn't have done that. So that's where I, I place this whole you'll you know you'll pry my gun from my cold dead fingers sort of stuff because when you have the guns aimed at you and your and your wife is screaming and your kids are in the background and stuff you know seriously you're gonna say come kill us all I don't care you, no it's it's all just empty bragging um, on the front end during when it, when it's when it's not a crisis. So it's just like everybody says, you know, you wouldn't be able to torture me into, you know, I could withstand torture. I would never give up information. And, you know, I've, I've spoken with people who were instructors for SEER school, and they're like, no, everybody breaks. There's no such thing as whole. It's not you're not Rambo just like absorbing all the pain and never divulging any information. Everybody breaks. Yeah, I I think we could devote entire podcast discussions to whether or not you help people when they come to your door and how you manage that situation because it will happen in any sort of a long-term collapse scenario. You know, like I saw a great post the other day about when those people who you know, who know you are uh, prepared or better prepared than they are, who say to you, well, if an emergency happens, I'll just come to your house. And the article title was something like, oh, you'll just come to my house? No, you won't. And, and so d deciding how you would handle that type of situation, because we all know people, despite our best efforts to keep what we do secret, we all have family and friends who know what we do. And many of them, their survival strategy is, I'm going to Buck's house when, when the shit hits the fan. And uh, that creates some very serious problems for you, or potentially so. Yeah. Well, and, and at least some moral dilemmas when your best buddy and his family do show up at the door. Exactly, and, because <laughs> yeah. these are people you care about. You're not necessarily going to say, screw you, should have prepared. Yeah. And one of my friends that I was talking about, like Ox, um, who you know really does walk walk this talk, and you know he said that they have prepared for that. Like they know some of their friends are never going to take the steps that they do to prepare, so they've already built into their plan like a – here are the people that we are going to let in because they are our closest friends and look, you know, they'll bring whatever they can with them, but let's face it. They're not, they're not playing this lifestyle like we are. And so that's taken into account. That could probably be a whole other you know thing by itself. But I mean, that's, that's, um, that's an, you know, that's, that's showing, that's showing the thought ahead of time of, of what the reality would be when a crisis actually hits. So anyway, got to do it. 
Um, okay, let's go ahead and get to the uh, the next. The last segment that we go through is the what do you know? And this is where Buck and I talk about the things that we learned this week that you ought to uh, you ought to be thinking about. Something that we learned that we can pass on to you. So um, I'll go ahead and get started with this one because I was contacted by a friend of mine who's one of the instructors in our network. And uh, it's F.J. Bohan, Frank Bohan, and he's got a number of really cool books out there. But he had contacted me as the Ebola apocalypse is going on and said, you know, this is um, this is why he's been preaching forever, his uh, uh, his air filtration system, why a lot of people don't think about the air that they breathe and why you need good quality air. It's like. We think about food, we think about water, we think about shelter, but we don't think about the, the very air that we breathe. And it's not that Ebola is passed by air, that it's going to be floating around in big clouds around you, but uh, it is definitely something like under a, a true pandemic scare where you have, you have a threat that is an airborne threat, whether that, even if that is like um, a chemical attack or a chemical spill, I mean, let's, let's take it out of like terrorist area. But if you have a chemical spill from a local train or a factory that's up in smoke, like a chemical factory that is is burning, that creates a problem. Uh, he has a book called Emergency Air for Shelter-in-Place Preppers and Home-Built Bunkers. And it has really, it has a full um, diagrams in there of what you can do very easily with with simply like a, a vacuum cleaner and the right hosing and the right preparation. It's not hard to do this, but it is an area that most people don't think about, and it is an area that I think you really should. And so I've been promised – so this reminded me that I, ha- I bought this stuff after interviewing him about this a while ago, and I've not put it together yet. And I have a, I have a room that I can use for this. It's a very, you know, it's a very good um, place for us, but – I've ne- I have not yet put this together. So this was kind of my kick in the ass to get my emergency air system in in place. Uh, Buck, what you what you come up with with this uh, this week? Well, you know, we've been doing a lot of discussion about the war on freedom and the ways in which uh, not only government forces but technology in general, but used both by the government and by your fellow citizens can invade your privacy and destroy your civil liberties. We talked, I think it was last week, about the use of civilian drones with cameras on them and how uh, a guy in, I want to say it was New Jersey, shot down his neighbor's camera drone and then was all surprised when the cop showed up at his door. Well, one of the things that I discovered was the sort of explosion in fake news. I was on, uh, I check Facebook every morning. I go to the MCS magazine uh, Facebook page and check out our stuff. And in my news feed, I saw an article that said, Breaking Bad's coming back for another season. And I'm like, no, it's Mm. not. So I look at the tagline, and it's from something called, like, Empire News or something like that. And I'm like, oh, that's one of those fake news sites. There's been a lot of discussion about the fact that Facebook is contemplating using a satire label for certain articles so that people will stop sharing articles from The Onion and thinking that they're true. (laughs) But the thing about, like, The Onion is it's so hilariously over the top, nobody's going to think that that's real news. But there's been an explosion in the last few years of websites that claim to be satire or parody but aren't funny at all, and their definition of satire seems to be we made up some shit and it doesn't happen to be true. So in some cases, they're more politically oriented than others. Like there's a few of them, 
such as uh, the Daily Current that seem to be kind of like uh, the points they make seem to be aimed at people on the right sucking and, and things like that. Then there are other sites that don't have a political outlook and just want to fool you into thinking things aren't true. Um, the Fox News people are getting ready to sue whoever owns the domain foxnews.es, which exists only to propagate hoaxes and reported recently that actor Judd Nelson, of all people, is dead. And it was kind of ridiculous, you know, because it's not true. And you're like, well, why are people just faking the news? Is it supposed to be funny? What's the point? Well, for the most part, some people just enjoy tricking other people. But where this becomes important is I started looking at fake news desks, sites that are devoted to debunking all the fake news stories that your friends are sharing on Facebook that aren't true. And people are believing this stuff. And as you can imagine, a whole bunch of those stories were about Ebola, you know, ranging from the ridiculous, like, there's an Ebola vaccine and it's got RFID chips in it, to the almost wish-fulfillment fantasies, the Ebola zombies, people who are getting Ebola and then rising from the dead, to much more serious stuff where it was just, you know, this town in New Jersey was quarantined for Ebola. This other town canceled Halloween because they're worried about Ebola. Well, these things aren't true, but they sound plausible. It's misinformation being spread around in the name of satire and parody. There was a time when to fake a news story meant you had to have a printing press. Today, you just need a tablet and an Internet service provider, and you can make fake news, and people can start sharing it around. So as part of this sort of war on freedom and the information technologies that are used to manipulate you, it is very valuable for us to understand Every time you see a story shared on Facebook, every time you see a link like that, especially when it's a link not connected to a larger site, you need to be looking at that. Because just this week, it came out that the FBI faked an Associated Press news story in order to trick a suspected bomb threat maker uh, of they, they wanted to trick this guy into revealing his location. So they emailed him a link to this fake AP news story. He clicked on the link. Uh, there was a you know malware or software tool or something that exposed his IP address and his location, you know his MAC address, whatever whatever that is. And they found him and they arrested him. Well, the AP found out about it recently thanks to some uh, reports made by like the ACLU or some other watchdog organization. And AP is absolutely losing their shit about it because they're like, you, you can't just use our name and destroy our credibility like that. They're very upset. And the FBI is like, look, we did this to stop a bombing, so shut up. Hmm. And really what it comes down to is who loses? You do. Because not only can you not trust the news that you see ever, but even your government might be in on the fake news game. Well, and I think uh, one of the things that we got out of our recent podcast also is that all of the news is vetted by the CIA and FBI, and this was an admission that has already come out. So we we get we get our information from media, and that media is not necessarily the truth. We talked we've talked in the past about the death of not literal death, but basically the demise of investigative journalism, how it's it's become more sensationalism, it's become more jockeying for political position as well. You know, just basically uh, um, the media vampires just programming people how they want and the corporations behind them and the, polit the politicians behind them and everything else. And that the news that we get filtered to us is filtered. It's no longer just, you know, it is vetted. 
And this was an admission that's already been, it's not some conspiracy theory. This has already been admitted by alphabet agencies that this is going on. So whether it's, and we talk about this with um, our, we haven't done this podcast, we haven't broadcast it yet, but with um, with Hearn, um, I'm sorry, Ahern, and uh, coming up about privacy. And it was, you know, one of the things that you can do is use misinformation to your benefit, basically the same way that you're talking about, like basically leaving little false breadcrumbs around that get people off of your trail or, you know, project you in a certain way that maybe isn't who you really are, but who you should be, I guess you could say. And so I have a friend who does that. I have a friend who all of his social media stuff says that he works at Arby's so that when people get mad at the controversial post he makes, they'll try to call his manager at Arby's. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that kind of thing. And there's a lot you can do with that. There really is. But I guess, you know, the point is, is that you you can't trust the, the news because it, it it is being vetted. It is. And it could be misinformation that's used out there. But it's all basically to project a certain thing that uh, that people want you to believe, period. And you and the, the easiest way to look at that is like I watch both like Fox and MSNBC, right? Like I, I look at both sides. You can take one, you can take one, uh, just a scenario out there, you know, like a story going on that is a politically charged scenario, like Obama, like something about Obamacare or some Supreme Court decision or something like that. And you watch one news station, and of course you're going to get, you know, a complete 180 degree view from what the other station is. Now, if you only watch one station, that's your viewpoint. Like we're animals, you know, our brains absorb this information and we take it in as gospel, especially if it's a quote unquote news organization. And so we take that as that must be the truth. And, and it's a very subconscious thing, even as much as you want to say that, you know, you can, you can think your way through it. You, if you're getting all sides of the story, then you're in a better, a better place to be able to make you know, uh, an educated decision about how you feel on something based upon your own ethics, integrity, moral value, and things like that. But at least it's an educated decision. But if you're just watching one source of the news that is vetted by corporations or politicians or whoever that want you to think a certain way, then you're most likely going to think that way. So anyway, I, I echo what you're saying is don't trust everything that, that you see because there is misinformation placed out there. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Well, that wraps up this. Uh, you know, I'm going to stop saying that this is like the Cliff's Notes version because really, you and I get on for like an hour to talk about all this stuff. And it's really just digging deeper into all of these topics and and the chatter that goes on in in the comments section and everything else. And really, um it gives us an opportunity to really expand on these because they're all they're all and this was a good week for for conversation as well. So good stuff. But gun pants, the pants made of guns, pants the way Americans used to make pants out of guns. <laughs> you know, I, I, I meant to say, did you um, there was a, a we were just talking about drones, right? Like the person that shot down the, the, the guy's drone, you know, taking pictures outside of his house or whatever. And there was just a, a South Park episode where Cartman had one of those drones with the camera. It's like, he's like, you know, we can, we can now, we can use this to look in people's houses and we can spy on people. And it was, 
And uh, so I just uh, that just came on like a couple nights or so ago, and I saw that, and it was that was pretty interesting. So now there's going to be a bunch of a bunch of horny 13 year olds out there asking for. <laughs> You know, for this Christmas, if they can get like one of the drones with a camera on it so they can spy on the MILF next door. Well, I remember reading that the way that South Park produces their episodes, it's a very quick process comparatively. So they're able to be very topical when they put out new episodes because there's not a lot of lead time between writing the script and getting the episode on the air. So that's one of the reasons that South Park always seems to be at the at the very forefront of popular culture news. That's where I get my news from. Yes, yeah, that, The Daily Show, um, that guy with the sandwich board on the corner, random signs in lawns and stapled to telephone poles. Yep, it's all good info. The, the last all time info. I wanted to buy a mattress, I just drove through the neighborhood, looked for signs on telephone poles, handwritten signs that said, mattresses for sale with a phone number. And then I called <laughs> that number. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that works out for you. If you start itching next week... You might want to think of a different... That, that's the gun pants. That itching <laughs> is freedom, buddy. That's gunpowder. That's gunpowder <laughs> residue left over in my mattress. Oh, man. All right, well, great episode. Um, listen, everybody, keep the, uh, keep the comments coming. Keep the ratings coming. We are now, as of I checked, number three in iTunes. We've moved up since last week from number five. Number three in iTunes on the new and noteworthy. So please go and give us a five-star rating and go ahead and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single episode. We've got some more great stuff coming up. So, uh, so thanks all mu- thanks so much for your support. Just keep it coming and please share it with your friends and family and anybody that you think would be interested in this kind of information or just needs a kick in the ass to wake up and see the world for the way that it is. So until our next Modern Combat and Survival Friday Reload podcast where Buck and I get together, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green saying train hard. Stay safe. And prepare now. Thanks, everyone. Gun pants. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.